Welcome back, my dear friends, to another episode of Around the Shabbos Table. Today we are going to talk about some interesting news that's been unfolding here in Israel about uh, some missionaries who infiltrated the Orthodox community here in Israel. And we are a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network. You can check us out on intentionaljew.com. Let's get around the Shabbos table. Um, so the, the news that's been happening and sort of been unfolding, it unfolded a, a month ago about this missionary um, couple posing as a Orthodox Hasidic rabbi even in Jerusalem, in Yerushalayim. And it's fascinating um, just fascinating as it's unfolding has lots of parts and lots of pieces to it. The basic story for, for the listeners or those who don't know is there's this, um, this Christian missionary, his name is Michael Elk and he changed it to El Cohen for his uh, Jewish purposes, Hasidic purposes. He claimed to be a, a, not only a Jew, but a Kohen. His wife, Amanda Elk, also, she claimed to have been a daughter of a Holocaust survivor and a Jew. And they moved into the community and they were there. Um, they had a, you know, yeshiva we use lightly, but they had a yeshiva for teaching people how to be uh, missionaries and how to convert Jews. Um, he was a mohel in the community, apparently. Sefer. So far in the community, he wrote he wrote Torah scrolls and and uh, Tefillin and Mezuzos, and and then he uh, he was exposed. Another wrinkle to the story was that his wife actually died. Amanda died of of cancer um, a few months ago, and before they were exposed, and she was buried in a Jewish super orthodox uh, holy cemetery, a holy cemetery of Harmanuchos. In, uh, in Israel, in Yerushalayim. And that's creating... So there's a lot of questions around this. The question is, how did they get into Israel if they're not Jewish? So there was apparently forged documents to get them in. Um, there's now the question of their children. You know, what do, what do their children do? And um, their children were being raised as, you know, Orthodox Jews. Um, today I was listening to a podcast and where they were interviewing a woman from Beit Shemesh who was friendly with this Amanda Elk and was actually there with her um, on her deathbed, the last Shabbos she spent um, in this world before they were exposed. And just the um, going through the process and the story of that. And I think that, I think that this story, oh, and then there's a cousin. There's a cousin as well. Um, and he and he was also, you know, introduced as a rabbi and as this, and uh, apparently he he as well is part of this part of this group. So I think I think. Listen, I, I have just only because I haven't done all the research, but they're just there are just huge questions to me when they when they report that he was writing Sifri Torah and people were buying mezuzahs and there's a pesach halacha that says that anybody that. Bought mezuzahs uh, of him. The mezuzahs have to be thrown away, and anybody, anybody who bought tefillin from him, that has to be. Has to be right. And Mila, anybody who had a circumcision, has right? to have hatavas And I get, I mean, I get the piskei halacha, but and, and the piskei halacha, I'm not, I'm not arguing with you at all. But I'm just saying, are there really people that would have that would have done that? Religious people, people yari shemaim that would have done that. There was a fellow in Lakewood who was exposed. Same kind of thing. 
and um, he was not he was not recognized as a rabbi. He wasn't pushing himself off as a rabbi, but as an Orthodox Jew trying to learn the nuances of the Orthodox community, and then eventually they um, they figured out that something was wrong. Because it's not hard to figure out that something's wrong. You know, I, w- I want to tell you an, an amazing story. Well, I'm not can, before we get to the story. Can we just on these two stories, just the one you said in Lakewood right. and the one here? Um, if you paint the picture, I'm, I'm, I actually think it is pretty hard because because we're accepting to people who are chosrei b'tshuva, people who come, people who who recognize, realize that they've perhaps made mistakes in their value systems, made mistakes in their lives, um, and wanting to take on a more stringent attitude towards Torah, God, and Judaism. And we're pretty accepting to that. We let them into our homes. We let them into our into our shuls because that's that's this again is a value of ours of that we believe we believe in that and we believe in them and we believe in makum shabali tshuva omdim that the place where they stand that the that the the repenters stand is greater than than uh, perhaps others, even sadikim gemur. So we we believe that this is not like this is not some you know. A book on how to do outreach and 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 oh we believe that they're good people no we like really really deep down the rabbis and chazal and torah teaches us that this is our attitude towards them and, and we invite them to our houses and we try to teach them torah but we don't we, we would never buy a pair of tefillin from them or a mezuzah from them you know as if you don't if, if you if you you're if there are holes the holes are apparent you have a conversation with a person for three minutes you can see the holes, no matter how much this guy learned, and no matter no matter where he might have went to learn, there's still there's still, especially if he's if he's selling tefillin You mentioned one of the halachas, you know, you ask him, you ask him a shaila. One of one of the the detailed halachas of of mezuzah or tefillin, you can knock the guy out of the water. I mean, it's it, it's that's why the the whole story is just. I'm not saying I don't believe it, I'm just saying it's odd. Who really bought into this guy? As but a, it doesn't it doesn't be, have to mean that he sold meaning. Putting your mind, your head into you know your rabbinic position, you uh, being a rav of a, of a community, and myself just being part of a, of an orthodox community. So it's not that he has to sell to the the strictly orthodox because we have our people, we have our things, but he can sell to the quote unquote low hanging fruit to the people who maybe maybe buying a, a pair of strictly halachic tefillin is expensive. It's thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars. It's expensive for the bar mitzvah son. So here's this guy, Rabbi Elk. Al Cohen, who's you know miuchas, he's wow, he's a Cohen, and uh, and he's selling for for seven hundred bucks, for five hundred bucks, right? And and uh, those are the people he would he would sell to, perhaps. So yeah. I'm just saying, like, it's not necessarily that he's he becomes the uh, the mocher of Sfarman, uh, sorry, the the of Sefer Torah. He's making the Sefer Torah for the shul, but you know he's making his things and he's selling to to low end people, um, and building up his reputation that way. I just wanted to establish that. I yeah, agree yeah. with you. I wanted to establish that it's it's not that he that, that he fooled you know Rabbi Yashiv, right? And it's not that he fooled that, that he fooled Grip. He he he, he did damage. There's no question. But it was it, it was to low lying fruit. And as we're going to talk about later, that might be the thing that we really have to be so incredibly concerned about. The the people that are. You know, stack of people with a little bit of an attitude, right? Of who they buy their tefillin mezuzahs from, and who they those are not the no those are not the prey, but the prey is the the low lying fruit, right? And um, and they just speak, yeah. It's going to speak to the responsibility of of us to um, make ourselves knowledgeable and and 
be able to smell things out, all of us, that there should be no perhaps low-hanging fruit, and we should all um, empower ourselves with that. So that, that's, that's going to be, an, you know, part of the conversation is definitely going to go there. Um, so, yeah, so that's when you put your head and your mind into, like, uh, what, they, what they were doing um, and what they were actually able to do, but also that, that to acknowledge that this was a long-term plan for them. He, they themselves, as being reported, they weren't doing any convert, like they weren't converting anybody. They weren't even doing um, any any kirov, you know. For <laughs> Love the, no, yeah. um, any any kirov in that sense, because they uh, they were they were really in this for the long term to to build yeshiva, to build infrastructure where they can where they can really do that. Um, that also, it's illegal in Israel, but. This also paints a picture onto other things that are going on in Israel, but it is illegal to proselytize to minors, not to anyone. This was clarified by, uh, by I think, Rabbi Tovia Singer. He, he clarified this in one of his videos that th- it's not illegal to proselytize in Israel. Pros- proselytize to, um, to minors is an issue, and to receive goods for, um, I think, something like that, for, for uh, conversion or something like that, it would be, would be illegal. But... Um, so this guy wasn't wasn't doing wasn't doing anything to minors. He wasn't doing anything to anybody. Um, I think the way they caught them was that his child was doing was doing some some uh, some work on somebody in school, and they started talking about Jesus in a Haredi school in Yerushalayim. So that sent out that you know I, I'm surprised because a Haredi school in Yerushalayim, like I'm not even sure my kid would know if somebody said to them, "No, nah, that's not true." If somebody if somebody came to my eight year old and said, um, you know, if a kid in school came to my eight year old and said, you know, there's a Jesus too, it's not just Hashem. She would come home. That then no, I actually she would it would rock her world. She would tell me right away because we talk about Hashem, 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 and then there's somebody else in the picture that would totally yeah. So so I, I could understand why that would rock, uh, you know, Haredi or an Orthodox community in uh, in Yerushalayim, totally. So, um. I, I, I want to explore this on two on two areas. The the second area being like you know what to do with this and what to um, how can we strengthen ourselves and our beliefs and our our um, our openness and acceptance to to Bali Chuva and not to get rid of that because that's important where that should be and what that should how we should um, not change our attitude without changing our attitude how we can how we can deal with this. But I also would love to explore your experiences as a rabbi. I know uh, I myself remember remember you know signs being changed of our shul and uh, a lady with oranges. You know I I have these pictures in my head also of growing up and these things were always uh, being at Israel parades and uh, and being really attacked. Um, That one. So each one is going to be a little different. But I would love to explore some of your experiences and. Perhaps you know how you dealt with them is going to be important, and uh, and and just that we should all know that this is this happens. This is not the first time, not recently, and not forever. This has been going on for a long time. Uh, perhaps the long term game that they're playing is a bit more aggressive. Uh, but Seth, so my, my first blush that I had with this was when I was in New York, and we went to Levering Hall in, uh, in Hopkins. And I remember seeing a pile of, of brochures and very, very, very attractive. Very, 
um, high-end, classy, glossy. I picked up, looked at it. It was a pre-Pesach. I'm reading a thing, and then, like, you know, and I was just, just reading it, totally open and totally accepting, you know, and I was reading it, and then it started to get a little funky. And then when it talks about, you know, the lamb that was sacrificed and the Lord and, you know, and you start to get deeper into it. But I'm looking at it, I'm saying, but it looks Jewish. Like, it's got a Jewish feel to it. And I remember bringing it back to Yeshiva, and, and it was all explained to me of what it was. I had no idea what, what missionaries were or anything. And, and um, then we became very vigilant. And we used to take stuff every, you know, we'd go every whatever nights or week that we went to college, and we would go we would go to Levering Hall. Even if we weren't going into Levering Hall, we'd go into there to the student center, and we would look for the pamphlets, and we'd throw them out. We would take them with us. And it became, for a couple of us, it became a like sort of a big thing. And that that raised my awareness to it, and I was very sensitive and saw, um, you know, classes being given on it or, or, you know, tapes in those days. Who were you protecting when you went and, and threw those away? Jews that were that, that were um, unaware and that, that were suspecting of this. Now, if you ever think, I have to tell the story carefully because it involves well-known personalities, but um, if you ever think that this is, it's not really a threat, so there was, I'm just going to say it very generally, but there was a woman who, um, whose husband was not, they were not religious, but whose husband was very involved in their soul. And um, I remember I once went somewhere and there was a newspaper that they had called the Messianic Times. And I, I took a copy of it. And I remember I kept it in, in my briefcase something for a long time until I finally had time to read it. So it was like months after I had gotten it. And I was finally sitting and reading it. I thought my eyes were going to fall out of my face because it was describing, it was a, a woman who was giving a testimonial of how much she appreciated after her husband died that the community that he was connected to had, had really written him off because he wasn't religious like all the rest of the community, which, which happens not to be true. He was, he was treated with incredible respect and was was really venerated by certain personalities in uh, in their soul. He was a, he was a he was a really good guy. Anyway, he uh, she felt very alone. There was a neighbor in her building that introduced her to to Jesus and to a community and a community of people. And she was writing a testimonial about her new life as a as a born again um, whatever it is messianic messianic. And uh, you know, and she was a, just a Nice normal lady, and it and it happens when you when you have no protection, when you're very vulnerable and you're down, it really does happen. So throwing these things out to protect people was was really a big thing. We felt like we were doing something chashiv. We didn't even realize how chashiv it was until later when I read this article and I started to see what's happening with this. And I remember and went to Ajap and and the Ajap convention. They were they had some stuff about this, and I'm thinking, you know, there's there's probably more important things to worry about. And then, you know, started to experience things myself and realized that, uh, that this is really critical. College campus, it's a really big issue. Wait, so th- are they, th- there's like different, I'm feeling different, um, like, uh, strategies. Are they always going after the college students, maybe, um, less knowledgeable Jews, but yet proud Jews? But are, are they going after those? Or are they going after knowledgeable, you know, Orthodox? No. Because I, I remember when we were at a, an Israel parade, which I mentioned before, and they they come, they find you. Now I don't know if they find you or you find you find them. I find them. Okay, so because you you know let them fight with you and not anybody else. That's the theory. At those things, I often hung around the back. 
after I, I realized one time that they were doing this, I hung around the back because they would go after the back. They, would, they, you know, they wouldn't walk right in. They would go after the back and give out pamphlets and, and discuss things with people. And um, I don't know if you remember once that Uncle Shui and I chased missionaries, chased, mamish, physically chased missionaries into in Balboa Park. I don't know if you were with us then. It was it was unbelievable. They were they were you know in Bobo Park on a Sunday they would have all these great you know whatever it was fun you know it was like a street fair on. right yeah so there was a table for messianics well I started with these guys and like do whatever you want but then they started we, we saw we knew somebody who was Jewish and they were starting up with them and it's like you know not my kids buddy like you know don't touch don't touch my you know, my loved ones and so we started up with them you know we started asking them questions and. And they were they were getting a little nervous, so they started to to back away. But as they were back away, they were still giving out stuff. So we ended up chasing them. You know, we wanted to get their stuff, and we wanted them to talk to us because we wanted to, to dismantle them. And uh, nothing physical, I mean, we weren't going to fight with them. But I'm saying we, we wanted to dismantle them. Do you remember the the Pesach in uh, Penyaskitas Park? Some some park we were sitting in, the whole family, and and we we got that we took out a tablecloth and matzahs and food and we were having a great time and uh, this guy comes over to me and he says are you Jewish? now I'm thinking buddy I got boxes of matzah <laughs> and diet coke sitting on the table am I Jewish? so so he says yes he says, what, what do you say about Isaiah 51 or 52 whatever and I said to him what do you say about Isaiah 50? and the guy's he like looks at me like oh no you know this guy's got me you know, thank you very much. I said, no, 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 come. What do you say about these other these other chapters in Isaiah? And I, I engaged him in a conversation, and he knew nothing more than what he had set out to, to say. So I pulled a couple of other things on him, and finally said to me, you know, thank you very much. Have a happy Passover. And he realized he wasn't he wasn't going to get me. But um, but they're 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 real, and they're out there, and they're going after college students, and they're going after. What they don't really know what low lying fruit is, but what they, what they think is low lying fruit. Now, he had no idea I was a rabbi, but if he knew that I was a rabbi, then he probably would not have started up with me because they're afraid of us a little bit because um, we have because we have knowledge that can you know that, that 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 can wipe them out. And can they can they really get somebody through a conversation in the park? They can convince somebody that they should. Well, okay, perhaps to take somebody who's eating matzah. <laughs> right, is not the best in a park, um, but if they find a Jew in a park and they and they engage them in this type of way, they they can really get them because they're eventually going to tell them about community. They can tell them about love. They're going to tell them about how how amazing it is that people love each other and we're all there for each other. And why don't you just come check us out on a Saturday on Claremont Claremont Mesa Boulevard? Whenever we drove towards uh, towards Sheila's, there was what was it? Benet, Kier, 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 Ariel, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's funny. When I heard the first time I heard that a shul was called Kilat Avila, I said, "Oh no, another messy right. place." <laughs> <laughs> right, it's funny. It sticks in your head yeah. like that. That's a. Uh, were they always were they always um like nonviolent or non non aggressive, or did it get to times in shul um, that they actually did things that were aggressive? So we had a lady who one Friday night was, and we had an NCSY Shabbaton. This was in the old shul. It was in the new office building. So she positioned herself in the bathroom and in the girls' bathroom and she was she had gone into the boys' bathroom and put pamphlets down on the counter, which I never would have known about had somebody not come in and told me about because unless I went to the bathroom I wouldn't have seen it. 
And then she was in the woman's bathroom and she was sitting in there and she was giving out things and talking to girls. And, you know, these girls weren't from, but they were freaked out a little bit. You know, they still, they still got a little, you know, a little weirded out about it. So the lady comes in. They I, knew talking think, Tyra in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> she comes into the shul after that. And she comes over to me and says, can I, can I talk to you? So I realized there was, you know, something weird going on. So I said, fine, you know, talk to me. She starts to talk to me. And I had Yona in one hand. Remember, I was holding on to Yona's hand and Yaakov was around. And she started talking about, you know, Jesus and stuff like that. And I said, you know, I sort of sent the boys away. And then I said to her, um, lady, we don't believe in Jesus. We don't believe in him as a, as, as a Messiah. We don't believe in him as a God, the Son of God. We don't believe in any of that stuff. And I don't appreciate you coming in here trying to push that because it's antithetical to our Judaism. So I'm going to ask you now very nicely to leave and not to come back. And she starts continuing. And I'll tell you a few stories like this where, where they continued. So I had to get a little, you know, a little tough. And I said to her, the door opens out, and that's the way you should be going. So we got her out. A few weeks later on a Friday afternoon, I'm sitting in my office, and there's a knock on the door. I already knew something was wrong, because do you know anybody that ever knocked on that front door in the office? <laughs> Nobody ever knocked on the door. People just walked in. So, so she knocks on the door, opened the door, and I looked at her, and I said, didn't I tell you to get out of here? And you're never allowed to come back here? And she said to me, well, she was a little nuts also because she said, you know, you have a transmitter in your head and they're transmitting these, you know, th these messages to you. Okay, fine. So I, I, I pushed her out and I said, I'm going to go downstairs and get security. You get out of here right now. Fine. A few, a little while later, I went to the bathroom. I come back and we had on the door, Gilat Adat Yeshurun in English. Adat Yeshurun. Big letters, A-D-A-T. Y-E-S-H-U-R-U-N. So she took a red pen and she went over the Adat, A-D-A-T with red, and then Yeshurun, Y-E-S-H-U, and the R she turned into an A. And it was big and, and really red. And for a little while, we were congregation of that Yeshua. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty wild. She showed her face a few times, but it, she, she, was, she, she wasn't really effective because she was, she was nuts. Right, there are times that the two are coupled, where right. you you know you can tell where their eyes are headed, and when, you know, right. that socially they're they're perhaps off. She used to run around the supermarket. Remember, there was a very sweet lady. I won't mention her name right now, but a very sweet, wonderful, wonderful lady, who she ran up and down the aisles trying to talk to her about Jesus, and the lady kept saying, "Get you know, like get away from me, get away from me," and the lady came to me and said, "Like I don't know, I can't go shopping anymore." Like I was, I was really literally accosted by this lady. And it was just crazy. She was she was doing that for a while. And then eventually she disappeared. But I, I'm going to tell you the most scary. This woman shows up in shul. I don't remember the exactly when it was. Sometime before Pesach, a woman shows up. She's wearing a skirt, long skirt, and a, uh, like a cardigan, you know, as a, a sweater, dressed very tsenua, hair covered. She asked if she could hang around, if she could dabble with us, and she could... No problem. She's come to Shachas in the morning. That's already like a, a warning sign. But but she came. She's not from us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not Jewish. So so she came. So she would come every morning. One more, I noticed that she was davening out of the English side of the sitter. It didn't fit with her whole story. She said she lived in Yerushalayim, lived in Geula, and something happened to her apartment, and she had to move out, and decided she was going to take some time in America. Right. 
every story, every every interaction was like a little weird and was making people a little uncomfortable. But she was a particular, very nice person. So somebody invited her for the Pesach Seder. Rightly so, rightly so. She was, you know, a Balash Chuva from Jerusalem, kicked out of her apartment in America, didn't have much, happy to invite her. So this person had a great shtick they did at the Seder. I really liked the shtick. He would go around, and he always had people that were not from and not connected and not, and he would go around to the people around the table and say, sing me a song from your childhood about the Pesach Seder. And this one would sing, you know, some parody of Chad Gadio, and this one would sing. It was all, it was great. And people, people loved to say it. And then he turns to this lady and says, sing me a song. And she puts her hands together like this. And she starts to sing about Jesus in a manger. And bells were going off in this guy's head, like there's really something wrong. Very soon after that, some students from UCSD came to me and said, you see that lady? We saw her up on campus giving out missionary literature. And I said, guys, come on, cut it out. You know, it's, it's one thing to like to think somebody's weird, but no, cut it out. I didn't know yet about the Seder. So they, they said, no, she absolutely did. So I remember it was on a Shabbos morning. Never told you this way? Okay. Shabbos morning. Shabbos afternoon. She comes to us. She comes in for sheer. You know, we used to get the shear on the stones. Oh, in the old show. Yeah, in the old show. On the right, yeah. 40, 50 people getting ready for sheer. She comes in. I jump up. And I say, I want to talk to you. And I take her into my office. And I said to her, I understand that you've been giving out missionary activity, missionary uh, pamphlets. She said to me, no, no, Rabbi, why would I, why would I do that? I would never do this. I said, I'll bring the students in right now if you want. But they saw you giving it out. It's not like somebody's just accusing you. They saw you. After a little bit of twisting and turning, she admitted that she was, that she was giving out things. I said to her, right now, I said, you're going to get up and you're going to walk out of my office and I'm never going to see you in our community again. <clears throat> and the woman gets a little emotional and she's, you know, why are you doing this to me? I said, I'm not doing anything to you. You are a Christian missionary. You don't belong here. And she got up and walked out. Needless to say, the people came over to me and said, what happened? You know, don't worry about it. Eventually we told everybody that, uh, that this is what it was. But it was so, it was so dramatic. And do, did she have an effect on anybody? I don't, believe she did any damage. But nevertheless, was there potential for damage? There was tremendous potential for damage. And she was just a lady. No, by the way, she was from Jerusalem. She was. She lived in Gula. There was an apartment in Gula. You can look this up. There was an apartment in Gula that was firebombed by the, you know, the Valad Snews guys, right? By the, by, by the zealots. But they, they firebombed it. They burnt the whole thing down because they, they knew that they were missionaries. Oh, fascinating. So I only found all this stuff. I only found that afterwards. I also found out that she was hanging out in another community that also chased her away, but they never bothered to call and to say, by the way, keep your eyes open. 
Is that the responsibility? Meaning they have to follow her and find out where she's where she's living now? Um, it, I mean, that's the question. Really, that that just goes full circle here because now, uh, where are these these people from Yerushalayim? They packed up. They said this other family that was in Beit Shemesh. They literally overnight threw their stuff into a truck and left. Um, packed up the truck in with the Beverly. <laughs> right. So there's like, uh, like, what do you do now? And 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 this is true with with. You know, many, you know, any, any abusers or, or, uh, or molesters or things, people who, uh, flee and run away. Like, what's the responsibility of the former community, um, to follow them and, and then make sure? I, I asked the question as if it's not a responsibility, but I do believe that there's, there so, is a responsibility. So I can't tell, I can't tell a few stories, but I can tell you that based on other situations, the Gedalim hold that we have a responsibility. To, to publicize certain things and to, and to let people know and to and to to be watchdogs but um, yeah I mean th- th- there there are there are in fact you know man, many other stories of of brushes with um, with missionaries and things like that and I think that brings me now to really I think an, an important point which you asked the question can they really do damage and the question is, I don't think they could do damage to me and you. Although, you know, Al-Tiftach, you can't, can't believe in yourself. But at the end of the day, do I really believe that, they, that, that, that we're their target? No. But I do believe that Jews are their target. Jews are first prize for them. You get a Jew to convert, and that's considered Mamish first prize. So they're in every generation, in every, in every um, you know, group of years, they're actually looking for ways... So they do it on the campus, then they infiltrate. This is this is like seems to be relatively common. Those it happens a lot. They infiltrate into communities. They try to learn the nuances of communities, and uh, we have to be aware. I want to I want to tell you want to tell you another one other story. This one also have to be a little careful with because it has to do with the world personalities. But um, there was a person, a very major personality in Israel, that was collecting for a fund, a liberal general. Um, and was invited to San Diego to collect for a fund. He was promised by a certain pastor in San Diego $500,000. $500,000. They invited me to meet with the pastor, which I did. I actually brought him to a, um, to, to a uh, kosher restaurant at the Sheila's. And uh, in our conversation, he was saying that he's giving $500,000 to Israel to do a billboard campaign. Because it's such a crime, such a shame that there are young Jews that are so disconnected from Judaism. And he had a whole incredible plan of if you plant billboards all over and they, it's like invading their space, so then they might actually be motivated to learn more about their Judaism. I got excited about it. I thought it was like a brilliant idea. Right, somebody doing a hard, dirty work. It's a, and you're paying, you're, you're paying right. for it. So I said, who's writing your content on your, on your website? So he started having a little bit and I said, I really, I'm volunteering. I would love to write content for this. And I said, and there's, you know, h.com and there's, there, there's, uh, or Sameach. There's some really great stuff out there. And then the guy looks at me and he says, no, you know, we're going to do this in house and that ton of bricks. Like I got it. So of course you can do it in house because you're not talking about, you know, the right. it's not my content. That's it's not my content. Right. And, um, so I realized that we couldn't participate in this. This per- person from, um, from Israel was actually going to make sure that it was going to be kosher. And he wanted the entire community to participate. 
we had just opened up our shul, the new shul. Just opened up the new shul. And we were going to have a breakfast for 300 people, which then was like enormous for us. 300 people. We were going to have community um, big shots from everything federation and from the, the, the American Jewish Congress, from, from B'nai B'rith. We were going to have everybody. And they were all going to be there. And it was going to be amazing. A few days before the event, this particular person sent an emissary and said, you ain't coming to our shul. You ain't coming to the Jewish community. Because we, as a Jewish community, this is a really an amazing story. We as a Jewish community said, we are not going to this event of the pastor because it's about missionary activity. I'm going to show you in a minute who said this. It wasn't just the Frum guys. That we're not going. We're not going to participate in this. It doesn't matter if it's kosher. If it's not kosher, we're not going. And we all, we all canceled. So he said, you canceled on me. I'm canceling on you. We were able to convince him to come for breakfast with at least the leadership of the community. I was there because it was in my shul. But it was, you know, the, the Federation was there. The American Jewish Congress was there. B'nai B'rith was there. Hillel was there. Every organization, none of which were religious. I will tell you that this was the most amazing thing I ever saw. The guy walked in. This, Not the pastor. The official, the, the no, official, official, right. The pastor out of, was out of the picture. They, they sent, Hagee from Texas sent a, sent a representative to speak to me because I'm the most apparent Jew in the place. So sent a representative to try to get me, to convince me for a different thing, to get Jews and, uh, and Christians to celebrate Israel. Um, there is, there is B'nai Torah that are involved in this, but I spoke to, to Reb David, Reb David told me don't get involved. So when the guy came to see me, he showed me this slick presentation and everything. I said to him afterwards, I said, I just to know one thing. And that night when the two of us are standing there and singing, you know, hat foot together, shoulder to shoulder, and we both have tears in our eyes because it's the most emotional thing we've ever seen. I said, what are you thinking in your heart? So he said, I told you there's no missionary activity going on. I promise you, no missionary. I said, I didn't ask you that. I said, are you thinking in your heart, when is Wogelinter going to come to his senses and embrace Jesus? He said, we're not doing any mission. It's not what he asked you. What are you thinking in your heart? It took me about five goes. He said to me, I'm thinking in my heart, when is Wogelinter going to come to his senses? and embrace Jesus. I said, it was wonderful to meet you. Thank you very much. But me and my community will not be at that event. That was a different event. So back to this event. So this particular politician walks in, grabs the bagel. As he grabs the bagel, I feel free to talk about this part of the story because I didn't say his name. But he walks into the, he walks in, and as he grabs his bagel, he starts yelling at the community. Like he hadn't even gotten to his seat yet. He had set it up in a big square. He starts yelling at us, what's the matter with you? Just take the money and run. They want to give you $500,000. Who cares what they want to use it for? We'll take the money. They, and, and, and this is where he was going on. So I think I'm going to say his name, actually. The name of the Jewish guy who ran, who ran the, um, uh, the ADL. Guy stands up. Very Jewish. You know, a little liberal. Very Jewish. Not religious. He stands up. And in the most passionate way lets this person have it. You don't understand what they're doing to our children. That our children on the campus, you don't understand how they're, how they're grabbing them and they, they're, they're, we, their kids are not armed and they're, they're converting them and they're grabbing them. And he makes this in Morris Casuto. And I say his name because he, he, he gained so much in my eyes 
to listen to him, a guy with a Brooklyn accent, a real stiff Brooklyn accent. And he says, you don't know what they're doing for us over there. And he let him have it. And he said, how could we possibly participate in your, in your event when they're destroying, they're murdering us? One by one, the leaders of every one of these communities stood up and let this person have it. And I, 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 I never thought I would see this. They're not particularly into Judaism, but they understood that this was a threat to their children, a threat to their Judaism. It was an amazing thing. It was mechazic, many of them, like they, that they, they actually had to voice this. I mean, we're talking about left-wing liberal organizations that, this is 20, 21 years ago, but that were defending you know, a Jewish decision not to participate in something that was missionary. Not something that wasn't Jewish, but something that was missionary. This brings me to my point. We have to recognize that this is a threat for us. All of us. This is a threat for any kid that comes out of a day school that is not fully grounded. And if, if we don't think that we have kids like that, then, you know, that's all. That's another <laughs> that podcast. That itself is a threat, yeah. yeah. That's another podcast. But that, but that it's not fully grounded. Good kid, right? Maybe keep, still keeping Shabbos, but you, you start going after him. He's feeling a little vulnerable. He's feeling a little lost. Someone's going after him, and, and he could get caught. <sighs> You know, and also being, I think, as we discuss, it's it's a um, it's an option, even for those who who didn't go to day school, maybe don't know anything, but it takes away the um, the like yichud shemo, the the importance of the oneness of God, because there's another option. You know, some believe, Berega, the the second somebody says, some believe that you know there isn't just God. Once you have a some believe, it's out. There is no, we can't believe that there's a son belief. There's, we believe Hashem Echad Ushma Echad finished. Right. As, as I was saying to you before, I don't think that we need to spend enormous amounts of time on this. We have a lot of, a lot of other threats and a lot of other ways to deal with the threats. You know, you know, in general, my, my theory is that the, the more beautiful we make Judaism, the less we have to talk about the things that are, you know, things that are trying to drag us away from our Judaism. Right. If Torah is so amazing, we don't have to say that's not amazing. Because all I have to do is to, to show how amazing Torah is. But there is a certain amount of knowledge, and I believe that this knowledge everybody has to have. I think that it can come in, for, for people that know Torah, you could get it in 45 minutes. I think that for people that, that don't know Torah, it takes a few more sessions. But that, that to, to have a certain basic knowledge of what to respond to when they, when they open up, when they start to tell you psukim that you're not familiar with, you know, Take yeshiva bacher with Tanakh, right? What do they say? I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit my uh, corny rabbi joke, but they say, why don't, why don't yeshivas learn uh, Navi? Because they're non-profit organizations. Oh, ow, the, uh, <laughs> the, but, 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 Lamais at the end of the day. Lamais <laughs> at the end of the day. It's, it, 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 protect, it protects us. Even if they're not going to get me, if I can dismantle them enough times, if they feel like they're, like they're up against people that know something, so then, then that just takes away their thunder. And, and I, think that it's, I think that it's a real issue. We have a few beautiful organizations that are involved in the Jews for Judaism, um, to be a singer, singer. There are others. That, are there books that you can recommend? Is there, um, you Take Jesus, I'll Take God. 
Um, he's got a the, the Jews for Judaism has a book about uh, about missionaries, and it just goes through very simple, very simple. Uh, Kaplan has a book about it, very simple about uh, I think I think it's uh, the, the Messiah or something. But but you know it's easy to do research on this and to get to, to get very, it's very well. The, the hard part about the research is that they too call them like uh, you know when you see Jews for Judaism, it's a, it's scary because maybe that's just Jews for Jesus round point two point oh that's just now right. Jews for Judaism right. for Jesus. So 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 it's like you know you do your research, but you never know really what you're reading until right. you read it and you see. So it's uh you so, need you need the the approbation sort of of it you know this is good and this is recommendation to to read it so i say to our listeners that if you if 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 this interests you and you want to know more about it then just contact me and i'll 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 do the research for you i I just don't don't remember all the books i have them in the house but i just don't remember them all and um you know i did research on this a long time ago i remember once i I had a bible the um the the new the new something uh, old testament new testament and um it was annotated and marked up and it had it had uh, you know all kinds of markers in it because I was I was studying in order to be able to Tamalash. I used to give classes up on on campus in UCSD of just just to 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 arm people with with some of the things that they should they should know things. Um, you know when you talk about virgin birth, nobody knows that that's based on a mistranslation of a, of a pasuk, and it's a to- it's just a total mistranslation. It's a myth that was developed from a mistranslation, and just that knowledge. You, when you when you start off with kids that are not religious and you tell them about that, so then that de- sort of debunks the whole thing. Now they're open to listening about, and you also have to go through some of the answers that they give, which I, I went through also. It was very interesting. Was how the, the uptake, like how, right, did, right. How, how did they answer it up? But uh, but be that as it may, the the and we always had this Bible, so somebody will, was sitting on my desk. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I was very like call the cops on this guy. Yeah, I was very careful to keep it in my. In my bottom drawer, but I think that is. Look, it's not my biggest issue. It's not you know you never we never really talked about this much. I right. haven't even told you all my stories, right? Because it's right over 30, 35 years of rabbinus, you you have encountered it, and it's been it's been challenging. And you, you know you have to even if you're not the um, the rabbi, the rav of the community, the leader of the community, um, it has effects on you and it affects your community, and you have responsibility to a no. B, if you do go to an Israel parade and there is no rabbi there and he's not fighting, then you should be, you should be armed because this is something you should be proud of, uh, you are proud of, and uh, you, you should be able to protect because it's important to us. And and uh, I think that's the that's the message of the story. Yeah, it happens and it's scary and there's there's perhaps scarier things or worse things and and there's a lot of things that are happening now. Um, but I think as this thing unfolds, it's important to strengthen our own emuna and strengthen our own belief in. The basic tenets of uh, of belief in God and in Judaism, and why these things threaten that. I think that I, I realized that there's more of it going on now. I thought that for a while it was dead, so it was a non-issue. But I realize now that it's not a non-issue, and I think it's kedai for for people to to take the achrayas on themselves to just become a little bit more aware. There's only fifteen or twenty points that they have, and and it doesn't take long to really become aware of them. And uh, and you can smell them when you hear them when you hear somebody even who looks Jewish veering towards those verses, then you know okay, maybe we need to talk about this. Yeah, I think it's a uh, it's all part of it's all part of protecting our our Judaism, our our Jewish kids, our Jewish future. It's it's part of that. I, I think that what you said before was very very important, 
that we can't let this color the way we look at Bali Chuva and look at every Balchuva and say, that's a potential you know, missionary. Right. You were once Christian, like, oh gosh, like right. maybe this guy never never stopped and Right. But but in, in the same token, just keep your eyes open. Just keep your eyes open. Listen for the, listen for buzzwords that are still there. Now sometimes they're still there because it's part of their culture and it's very hard to to get rid of that. But very often, when a person is sincere, uh, uh, let's say you know Christian Catholic, is sincere about their uh, about their conversion and about their process, so then you know they they talk in very wary ways about things. You can you can tell. But when you hear a little bit of a, of a veneration of things, you have to keep your eyes open. That's all. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening, Daddy. Thank you for sharing your stories and um, pass the challenge. I'll see you next week.